Time for another Hero Ball podcast. I'm with my two friends, Richard Davison and Elkin Beltry. Fellas, how you doing? My head's about to explode with all of the crazy stuff that Phil Jackson had to experience and all the crazy money that he got. I'm ready to get into it. It's about to be a, a crazy episode. And I'm excited as well. Just I'm ready to talk to you about, especially with the Chris Paul trade. Definitely talk about talk about some major free agents as well. I look forward to this pod. Yeah, tons of exciting stuff. Our our insights. We're ready to fire them off. So Richard, we got our first topic of the day: the Phil Jackson firing. You seem exceptionally heated about this topic. Let's roll. So I went to bed last night. And all was calm in the world, except for uh, Woj and Ramona Shelburne. They were, for whatever reason, awake and in in communication with people over there in New York. And what it figured out, what they figured out, was James, uh, you know, Dolan was was basically ready to um, to move on from Phil Jackson, which is uh, contrary to most most of what, we, what we've been hearing throughout the year. People were saying, "Oh, you know, James Dolan's the type of person that when he gives you power." When he, uh, you know, signs you a contract, he's going to let that contract play out. Uh, but he was unsatisfied with where things are going, especially uh, in surrounding uh, Carmelo Anthony and the whole deal there. And so, um, Woj bombs happened late at night uh, yesterday, and uh, Phil Jackson this morning when I woke up was no longer part of the uh, New York Knicks, Knicks uh, association. And so, uh, with that though, it, it's also a crazy situation because. N- not too long ago, I think maybe just a, a week or two ago, uh, Phil Jackson like got extended. And so had James Dolan decided then, you know, it was time to move on from Phil pre-draft, uh, you know, get someone else in to, to run the show there, then he could have done that and save probably millions of dollars. But uh, James Dolan, his not made such savvy moves in the more recent years. And I guess just on all the years, he's really been running the Knicks. And so he did not spare himself that. And now three days before free agency starts, they don't have a GM. Welcome to life from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so, I don't know, uh, this is just a really, really terrible situation. But if you're a Knicks fan, I feel like you still got to be kind of excited about the fact that you no longer have to deal with Phil Jackson. What do you guys think? What I think is the most disappointing aspect of this whole situation is that the Knicks drafted, you know, a young guy in Tilakina, who may be a great prospect, may turn into something, but he was drafted specifically on his knowledge of the triangle. As a Knicks fan, and like if I if that was who I was, I would just be upset, like, okay, I'm looking at this guy, Dennis Smith, who has all this explosive talent, looks like he could be like a Derrick Rose type athlete. Now, naturally, you hope the injuries don't uh, – keep coming around but you know you drafted a player based on your general manager's plan for the offense like it's just a frustrating development in my eyes that this was able to transpire like to fire him between after post draft and pre-free agency it it sends a lot of mixed messages on what was going on with that organization and what you know the owner James Dolan was thinking like like, if you had this idea that you kind of wanted to get rid of him, exactly what you said, Richard, why was he still on staff and, like, he got those two extra years um, via his uh, extension? Yeah, I mean, I, now I wouldn't go so far to say as uh, Tilakina was the 
um, has knowledge of the triangle. I think just because being in Europe, he didn't quite have the tendencies that would be anti-triangle that um, Phil Jackson was, um, you know, not looking for. Like uh, with Dennis Smith, Dennis Smith would not have fit into the triangle at all. It would have been a really just a terrible situation trying to fit him in there. But with Hilakina, he was, um, most people said he was probably moldable because he didn't quite have the more, um, with, way, with the way he was playing, it wasn't quite as the way the modern NBA was going. And so people thought, well, you know, maybe he could fit in better with a triangle. Maybe that's what um, Phil Jackson was thinking. Now, I think he can still be valuable in a new system, whatever system that may be. I don't know who's going to be the head coach next year for the Knicks. I don't, we don't know who the GM's going to be. And so we're right now, they're just kind of, you know, in a state of flux right before free agency begins. And that's not the best way to go about it. Elkin, what are your thoughts here? Well, right now what I'm thinking is, can we remember the last time the Knicks were not that dysfunctional? That's the first thing I was thinking of. As far back as I can remember, probably the early 2000s, they were not, they were pretty dysfunctional, especially after we started signing away, just signing all these crazy contracts. So many guys probably remember some of the extensions they gave to like Allen Houston or signing away or signing Jerome James after one good season, if you guys can remember that name. Horrible signing. And then we come here now, and I try to think to myself, kind of something that Ethan brought up. You know what? If Phil wasn't there, who would they have drafted in the draft this year in the first round? That's a good question. Then I would like to think the last two years, kind of like, is it that the Knicks were just this bad, or is it that Bill Jackson made them this bad? And Richard, you and I were kind of looking at his the moves he's done as a as a president of basketball operations. And anyone can go to basketball reference and just look at all the stuff he's done. His track record speaks for himself. So he started working March 18th, 2014. That's That was his first day as president when he started president. So as dysfunctional as they are, kind of just like maybe this will bring greener pastures for the Knicks. Do you guys think the Knicks franchise from March 18th, 2014 until today, June 28th, 2017, would it have been any different if Phil wasn't there, do you guys think someone would have done something different or do you think it just would have ended up the same way? Well, I think that uh, a lot of the dysfunction that's been going on has been specifically between how, uh, I mean, obviously there's just dysfunction that's gone on throughout uh, the New York Knicks experience with Phil Jackson, but especially in the more recent um, times with his handling of Carmelo Anthony and the way he's handled the, um, uh, the situation with uh, Porzingis, you know, kind of almost uh, in protest of that of how he handled um, of how he's been handling Mello, not ha- you know, skipping the exit interview, and then also his, then his handling of Porzingis skipping the exit interview, uh, and, and so just the way he's been going about it uh, has just been really terrible. Now he's lucked; he kind of lucked into Porzingis. He didn't want to take Porzingis, but he did anyways, and that has been the best thing that he's done. Uh, a move that he didn't even want to do. Uh, I think that if you look at some of the only moves that seem pretty like they're okay, they, they seem reasonable is well, he went and re-signed Mello, which was, you know, kept, kept him in New York. But then how are you going to do that? And then immediately, you know, within a year or, or two say, you know what, we really don't want you here anymore. And not even in a way that was quiet, but in a way that totally just trashed his trade value. Uh, to the point that 
they're thinking, well, maybe we maybe we should have bought him out. And I think that's where James Dolan came in and said, you know what, we can't be having this going on. And then I think that was the last straw for Phil. And then and then the next thing is, who gave Melo a no trade clause? You can't do that if you're really gonna say, all right, let's maybe this guy's not gonna finish our future. Don't give him a trade clause because what do you do to yourself? Kind of just you put yourself in a hard place for like, hey, uh, we want to trade you. Can you give us the okay? And then you go ahead and after you try to get the okay, let me go ahead and mess up his trade value. But don't worry. It's uh it's it's almost expected, which is a sad thing. Like that's kind of the thing. Like as a as someone who's not a Knicks fan, growing up as a Pacer fan, I growing up as a Pacer fan, I hated the Knicks. I don't mind this that much. I love seeing this. I'm enjoying it. But you also want basketball to be good and a team that's run good. You want every team to have a chance. It makes me wonder if you have someone like him making those decisions, why can't someone like Ethan Huffman just get in there and start making decisions like that? If he can do it, why can't Ethan? I mean, by all means, I'm all over that. I got the charismatic personality and I got the eye for talent that has been proven over the uh, three podcasts that we have sent out. Um just to kind of piggyback off all of that, like, you know, signing Carmelo isn't a bad thing. Carmelo is, you know, a, a top echelon player. He is a great player. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's fantastic. You know, drafting Porzingis, like, if he would have went to a, a Sixers uh, workout, he would have been a Philadelphia 76er. I have no doubt in my mind about that. So, you know, Phil should have sent – Presenting us a thank you card for saying, nah, I'm not about that process life. That's how he was able to go to New York. So if you look at these two moves in a nutshell, drafting Brazingas and Anthony, resigning him, those are the only real, I would say, positive moves to his tenure as a GM. Everything else, you know, I think draft, uh, getting uh, Willie Hernan Gomez, he's a good player. Um, Kuzminskis is a heck of a fine for like what he is as a play, like, you know, what you gave up to get him, which is nothing, you know, like he's got some like, eh, okay. I like, okay. That'd be great if your team was good. And that's who you're adding to be a very end of the bench complimentary pieces, but he just hasn't done enough. And obviously that's why he's been terminated to warrant getting another opportunity. Even if he was a younger guy, this, this is over for him as a general manager. Like he has done so poorly. And just so – he's abused his players in the press. Like, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I get frustrated with it. Just I'm like – some people get these opportunities and you just blow them and, like, it, was, it seems like it was all about the paycheck. Yeah, I mean, Phil's been getting them checks and it almost seems like he's – I don't know, some of the moves he's been doing, it almost seems like he's been trying to get fired. Uh, and the way he's handled some situations – we haven't even discussed how he handled the Derrick Rose situation. I mean – how are you going to get upset at Chris Stapps for skipping an exit meeting and vocalize that to that extent? But then Derek Rose misses a game, goes AWOL with nothing, you know, with, with no comment and not even not even a suspension um, from the team. Now, obviously, we don't know all the details involved and stuff, but how do you go about handling it that way uh, with, you know, with Derek Rose and then totally, you know, bash Chris Stapps Porzingis? I don't know. And I mean, also mentioning Derrick Rose, some of the acquisitions made in this offseason uh, are, um, yeah, m- m- some of the acquisitions they've been they've been making. I mean, they they have Joe Kim Noah for so long on such a huge deal that is basically, you know, I don't even know how you would anticipate moving that contract. And so, 
some of the moves he's been making just have not, uh, well, many of the moves just don't really make sense. And the ones that, that have made sense, he's done things to mess those up. And so I think if you're a Knicks fan, you're really just hoping that James Dolan just picks the right guy because he seems like the type of owner who is very hands-off. Like firing Phil Jackson was a pretty big shocker to me and because I figured he would just let the contract play out. But if you give control to someone like a David Griffin or to, you know, there's been rumors about um, uh, Masai Ujiri from Toronto bringing him in. I don't know how you work that out uh, because he's not only the GM, but he's the president of operations. They'd have to give some compensation there. Uh, but if you bring in either one of those guys, those guys seem like competent individuals that could really, uh, if let if they're if they're given the opportunity to go and do what they want, you know, it, life might not be so bad for the Knicks having uh, Porzingis and uh, Young Chilakina. Mentioning Joakim Noah and his injury history, it's so it's so funny that that was part of the rhetoric coming out about why Porzingis was potentially available. We're worried about his long term health. Y'all signed Joakim Noah, who had been sent through the meat grinder in Chicago and came out, I was surprised he could walk. So, you know what? Like, it's just just poor, poor decision-making. Yeah, and they wanted to bring uh, – they were even talking about bringing Derrick Rose back for next season. And so – He stinks. He's, he's – yeah, I don't know. He's coming off some issues with his knee again as well. And so I, I really um, – I'm really glad that, that, he's, that he's off the team. I'm not even – I'm not a Knicks fan. But I think that it will allow them, hopefully, to build something in New York. And a, a good New York team is good for the league. So it would be nice to see something like that. Well, I'm, I'm ready to be done with the Knicks. Like, all this dysfunction. It'll be interesting to see, though, who they pick up. I'm interested to see if a lot of the names that have been thrown around. But it's not easy, though, as I understand, to be a – president of basketball operations, even though I know some of us think we can do the same thing. I feel like it's still a hard job. I can never do someone who scouts talent, honestly, because sometimes you scout the talent, but then you miss. But I'm thinking of another situation, though, having to do with, well, uh, president of basketball operations with this whole Paul George situation. So I mentioned you guys, I have been uh, listening to the, to the low post, and he had Brian Windhorst on Friday. So Brian Windhorst came, as you guys know, that uh, Kevin Pritchard, our, the president of basketball operations, Pacers said, we felt a gut punch. It was gut-wrenching. Apparently, he likes using the word gut a lot, but he kept using that. What came out was, from Brian Windhorst's understanding, is Paul George has said, I want to play in L.A. at some point. I want to do that. I want to play in L.A. Definitely want to do that. But then, when they talked in the summer, him and Kevin, he told Kevin, you know what, I'm I want to see what this team's going. Kevin's like, we're going to make some moves. And Paul George's like, I'm excited for the future of this team. I want to see where it goes and just see what happens. And you get all the things you want to hear. But then after he said all this to him, he said, like, I want to, I'm committed to this, kind of see where this team's going. His agent turns around and says, my client's leaving after this season. And that's where the gut punch came. Obviously, the Pacers should have seen it coming. But I think what happened was I don't I think Paul George didn't want to make himself look bad by saying his true intentions, and then the agent kind of said like you know what let's just get it out there. But there was kind of like obviously people say oh Pacers should have been cut off guard, but at the same time, 
if you have a player telling you one thing and then does another thing, that's where the issue comes. And now we're in this situation where some trades have been spoken about for the Pacers, but I don't see them. They're being really picky, and it's going to be hard to get a trade market, kind of like that Carrillo trade market. And we're kind of here in this place. I love, by the way, I love the players having power. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But I'm kind of just interested now, like, what trade packages can they come up with with Paul George? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of the ones that they were receiving just really didn't cut it. You hear, you know, you heard some of the offers from the Lakers, and maybe them throwing in a couple of their, you know, pre-draft, throwing those two draft picks that they had at the end of the first round, throwing in some contracts that would make it work, uh, um, you know, but also maybe giving them um, Julius Randle. That I mean, that's not really appetizing if, if you're the Pacers. Not really what you want if you're going to be starting a reboot. Uh, and, and what I think the, the Pacers are holding off for right now is hoping that Boston lands one of the guys that they want. Uh, if they land a Gordon Hayward, if they land uh, a Blake Griffin, then they would probably go and try to trade for Paul George to try to make that happen. Because the moment they do that, Boston becomes a team that is really – uh, in competition um, and, and competitive for, for to make the finals and also, you know, perhaps maybe give them a run, uh, give the Warriors a run. But uh, that's not happened yet. And so it's that we're kind of in a weird limbo stage where until that domino falls, you're not going to know exactly what you have from Boston because Boston doesn't want to be giving away things that they can't really uh, offer right now uh, because they're trying – the order of operations are so that if they were to trade for Paul George now – they would not have the cast space to go out and sign uh, to sign a Blake Griffin, to sign a Gordon Hayward without totally decimating their roster. And, and so the order of operations are really important for a team like Boston trying to make that trade. And I think if you're the, uh, if you're the Pacers, that's where your best deal is going to come just because Boston has so many assets. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Pacers are just in a bad spot in terms of timing with all of this. Like they are, they are very reliant on, some other teams figuring out their moves before they can really pounce on a move that's actually going to benefit them. Um, just for the record, uh, number 13's retired for the Lakers. So Paul George is going to, have to lose his stupid nickname of PG 13. <laughs> so that's just something I want to throw out there. So oh my God. <laughs> I, I honestly think he should consider the Clippers as a team, but like they, they blew up their chance with uh, getting rid of Chris Paul. But like, I think that's something that is noteworthy here. Um, like, just with the Pacers, man, it's a tough situation. Like, you thought you were going to be able to, to make this transition from, you know, that Granger to Paul George to Paul George and Turner. Like, it looked like a, the whole thing was going to just uh, go in smoothly. And you just kind of threw a monkey wrench into this whole thing. And when you have a player like that who seems so determined to get out but has a history of changing his mind, I don't know. Like, like there's a little bit inside of me that says, hey, you know what? Maybe you say, I don't care what, what Paul George said, that he wants to go there. Literally, you know, a meeting ago, he said he, he wanted to stay. Maybe you try to throw something around. I mean, this is obviously the contrarian position here. But you still have that dollars and cents advantage if he were to make an all-NBA team. Like, I don't know, Elkin. You're, you're the resident Pacers fan here. What do you actually want your team to do? I would say, um, like, here's the thing. I'm not, a lot of Pacers fans here are kind of just saying, like, oh, Paul George, we're happy he's gone. Like, I've been reading on different forums. They've been saying, we're, you know what, it's Turner's team. Miles Turner's team, he's a better leader. And I'm just, 
in my mind, I'm thankful for the service that he's done, but if you're really, if he's really serious about leaving, you're better off him being traded away before the season, because then if you have a player of his caliber on your team, you're more likely to be better. And, and if you're really rebuilding, you don't want to be better. That's the dangerous spot they're in, because they're like, we could wait for a trade. And we could do that, but I would rather say between now and October, there's still plenty of time. Look for something. And I think part of this, too, has to do with Paul George's attitude. One reason, uh, to give you guys a little heads up, why the fans have kind of turned their backs on him. Um, so Paul George, when he got drafted, a lot, a lot of fans didn't know who he was. Throughout the years, as those years came along, anywhere from when he got his first playoff experience against the Bulls to then moving on against the matchups against the Heat in three consecutive seasons. Throughout that time, he was rising up until eventually 2013-2014 season. They were like, oh, a potential MVP candidate. After that season, that's when everything flipped here. Because that's the next, if you guys remember, that summer, that's when he broke his leg. And then after that, that's when he came back. And then he started doing the whole PG-13. And people were kind of like, what's Paul George doing? And then he started, his demeanor changed a little bit. He was more the leader. And that kind of threw some people in for a loop. So I think I'm all for let's find the best deal. And, of course, he has where he wants to go, and teams are going to be hesitant, like, we're not going to trade for this guy because he's going to be leaving our team. But if you find a good deal, you have to take it. But I heard that you guys said Boston is possibly the best scenario for a trade. So if you were the Pacers, what deal would Boston have to give you in order for you to say, all right, I'll accept the deal? Well, if if I'm if – I'm, uh... If I'm the Pacers, what what I'm wanting is first of all I'm wanting uh, at least uh, two first rounders. I'm wanting whatever this Lakers Kings pick becomes that that uh, Boston just got from Philly um, for the Markel Fultz, um, Jason Tatum pick swap. Basically, I'm wanting that pick, and I'm also wanting um, you know a future pick. I don't think the Celtics are are going to be in a position or are going to want to give up the Brooklyn pick. I think they know Brooklyn's going to be terrible. Obviously, if you're the Pacers, that's where you want to start. Uh, but I think that you've got to get a couple of those guys, um, a couple of those picks um, coming up. They, you know, The Celtics have an abundance of them. Uh, but then you begin to ask for salaries back. You're probably going to get a Jay Crowder back uh, just because salary-wise, he's going to give you a bulk. Um, and then maybe you can throw in a couple of these rookies maybe you could throw in a marcus you know get a marcus smart uh maybe by then in order to you know create the cap space necessary boston's just looking to move these guys and so maybe you get uh, um a marcus smart maybe you can get i don't know terry Rogier. i i mean I, I don't know who else you can can really bring on over but some of the younger guys that they have uh you probably want to take a flyer on maybe one of the um one of one of the rookies not named jason tatum that they just picked up uh Maybe that they Boston would be willing to ship those guys over, but if if you're Indiana, I mean, you know, you're really just kind of at the mercy of some of these other teams because they know that you're you're working on a you don't have much time. I mean, you can try to push it off to the trade deadline but by then. Who knows what team situations are? Honestly, Indy should have tried moving him at the end of last, you know, at the last trade deadline. They probably could got could have gotten one of the Brooklyn picks. Um, I think Boston would have been much more willing to do something like that. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I guess we'll just have to see. I, I've also heard of some other potential offers, um, some some three-way offers with the Cavs in Denver 
uh, and, and the Pacers, but those quite haven't come to fruition. What would you think about an offer like that? I mean, I'm all about acquiring young talent. And honestly, maybe a little bit of bad money if that's what it takes to get some young talent. The way I look at it is, is Turner just finished his second season. He's got two more years on his rookie deal. So looking at that, that means you have a, a definitive two-year window to take on some bad salary if it brings you stuff. So that's my thought process in terms of how we look at this trade market. It's the same thing I've talked about with these other young rebuilding teams, and if the Pacers are going into that realm, they need to start thinking like that, which will be a hard switch for a team who's been pushing and pushing and pushing, trying to get the wheel rolling towards the playoff successes. Um, speaking towards Boston, Jalen Brown's a, 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 a that I have to get him back, which the, I think they would be willing to give up if they bring in a Hayward and then add a Paul George. He becomes a little bit less important. Tatum's so young, I don't know if you'd be able to snag him, but I would actually – I'd still prefer Jalen Brown. I think he's a little bit more versatile of a player, he, and I think he has a higher ceiling, not necessarily as, as, as high, but Tatum has a, a much higher floor. With other teams, like with Denver specifically, like Gary Harris is a player I'd want. He's getting paid sooner, so that makes it harder for the, the uh, bad money to come in nearly as effectively – I, it's just a, a, a tough thing with with Denver not gonna they're not gonna move Murray or Jokic and that's really their best assets. Like you can take a flyer on a Moutier, but I haven't seen enough from him to really want to you know stake a, a basis of a deal on him. Like it, it just becomes tough. Like Boston seems like the ideal trade partner, but are you gonna get what you want from that ideal partner? Yeah, I think that if Boston were to strike gold with one of their free agents, and I think, honestly, a Blake Griffin would fit better for them if they are going to go get Paul George. Otherwise, they have too many wings you know, on, on their team. I think a Blake Griffin would give them the uh, flexibility to, you know, maybe they wouldn't want to give up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum if they get those two. Uh, if Hayward went elsewhere instead you know then you have Paul George at the three you have Blake Griffin at the four and you got these guys coming off the bench and filling those bench roles and so if you're Boston then maybe you don't want really want to get rid of a Jalen Brown but you can always give a Drake Cotter who's got a number of years left at a really reasonable deal especially for a three and D wing like that uh you can get a Marcus Smart who maybe can try to run some some point guard there obviously he's more of a of an in-between kind of combo person there but I mean they're, they're Pacers are rumored to be having Lance Stevenson run the point. And that's going to be just a, I mean, I don't know what you're going to have with that. I mean, I don't know. Elkin, how do you feel about Lance Stevenson running the, running the show? The first thing is, could this mean that the Pacers are not going to sign Jeff T? That's one of the things I was hearing bouncing around. Um, if we have Lance do this, could it mean that Jeff T is gone? Jeff T wants to play here, but his management want to move forward or his management want to re-sign him. Now, I've been to a, I went to eight Pacers games this year. About a few of them had Lance. The crowd loves Lance. Lance gets them energized. Lance does things on defense. He does things on. The problem is Lance is good if he's, let's just say, if he's a ball handler for like a bench unit. If he, if you keep him in with like a bench, he's solid. He'll handle the ball, get other guys involved. But when he's the primary ball handler, that's the issue. And I mean, it did work a little bit. If you go back to probably the 2012-13, 2013-14 season, especially the 2013-14 season, when him and George Hill would kind of take turns ball handling, but him being the primary one, 
if he's in control, it can happen. He actually does have good vision. But I would prefer a more conventional point guard at that. And, of course, I mean, who knows who the Pacers are going to sign, especially with free agency. Who knows what's going to happen with that. But I think I think Richie brought up a good point, though, going back to the whole Boston thing. Who should they sign? I mean, right now we said the big – pretty much said the big three, quote-unquote, free agents are Gordon Haywood, Blake Griffin, and Chris Paul. So it sounds like what I'm hearing is if I'm Boston, I'd rather have Griffin – even though I am weary of Griffin because of his injury history, especially if he, it seems like it's been increasing slowly. I mean, remember, he already missed his rookie season. So Blake Griffin, I mean, and Blake Griffin is not as young as we think he is. He's been in the league for a little bit now. So I'm thinking that's what happened. But so let's say Boston decides between Hayward and Griffin. So if I'm Hayward or Griffin, though, where am I trying to go or which team is trying to land them besides Boston? I mean, you have to look at Miami. I mean, Miami's got to be the other team where uh, that has those guys uh, on their sides. I just saw a report that um, Gordon Hayward's basically just looking at uh, he's going to be visiting with Miami uh, this Saturday. He's going to talk with Utah and then hopefully find some time to sit down and talk with Boston before he makes his decision. Because I think he's down to basically those three teams. Those are the three that can really offer him the full max and actually have a you know some sort of path towards making a deeper finals run uh or at least a, a playoff run um anywhere else you're not really going to get that uh, with with hayward and i think the same is going to be with um blake griffin i think his hometown clippers now that um chris paul's out of the way they can offer him the total max if they you know if they want to um he's probably going to ask for it now that they have the ability but then it goes down to Boston and Miami. Those are the two teams that really, really can handle that. With those specific teams, and we're talking Celtics, Heat, Hayward, and Griffin. The Griffin fit in Boston I don't think is perfect. Um, this is my personal opinion. The way I look at Blake Griffin is he's a guy who thrives with the ball in his hands. And Isaiah Thomas is a is a constant but takes the air out of the ball when he dribbles. He just pounds it into the into the ground. So if I'm Blake Griffin and if I was ever frustrated with Chris Paul dribbling it into the ground, at least he passed it to me a lot. Isaiah Thomas is going to shoot with it, which is fine. Isaiah Thomas is a very good scorer. But if I'm Blake Griffin, I don't like that fit. So if I'm Blake Griffin, I would look at Clippers in Miami. Now, as a Miami fan, I don't really want Blake Griffin, but you know we don't have to get into that at this moment. In terms of Hayward's thoughts, if he goes to the Celtics and they were to try to trade for George as well, you're looking at a really tough-to-work-with lineup for the full season, I think. Playoff-wise, I think it's a lot of fun and very versatile. But you're going to be sending uh, either George or Hayward into the into the paint a lot because they're going to be guarding power forwards. And I think that's a good way to get people hurt, honestly, because a lot of teams still play big during the regular season. I think Hayward would be a brilliant fit in Miami because he the ball moves, the ball is you know it, it doesn't stick. The only time the ball stuck last year, and I watched every Miami Heat game because I am a, a crazy fan. The only time it stuck last year is when we had literally eight active players on the roster because injuries have just decimated things. And that's the only time it stuck, and it's just because, you know what, people were tired and they were just – it was easier to take some possessions off, even on the offensive end. So I honestly think any any free agent that 
is either really good and can just seamlessly mold into an offense like that, or any player looking to increase their value in their next upcoming free agency should look at Miami as a team to go to. As, as Richard will lament, I, I often say, and as Elkin will, <laughs> I remember talking to him about this earlier this year, oh, that guy would be a great fit in Miami. That You can say that about almost anyone because they have such a, uh, you know, we will take what you do well and show it to people. And like that's just my thought process on those uh, those two bigger name guys. The Heat are the better fit for both individuals, although I think Gordon Hayward may lean Celtics simply because there is already an established connection there. But, guys, like let's not rule out. The Jazz are still a viable team. They got Rudy Gobert, who is a, just a great defender, and if they can add a point guard or re- bring back George Hill, however that goes, like they're still a viable team. They're just stuck behind the Warriors. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, Ethan Ethan brings up the Warriors issue. I was thinking about this, trying to figure out when in our league's history, in the NBA's history, has there been a time in which there's one team that every team is really trying to chase? I mean, you can go all the way back to the 60s with the Celtics, but also the NBA was loaded. I haven't thought about um, – there was a cover of Sports Illustrated from when the Bulls were – when they won 72 games and the next season they won 69. I mean, they pretty much said, like, is this even fair? Like, everyone pretty much knew. People forget. People talk about, oh, no, Warriors, Cavs, or they're like, Warriors are going to reach too many finals. Michael Jordan went to six finals in eight years. And that's when more talent was spread out. Like, people won't buy that. But now I think because of the Warriors and because of how they gained the system, it's going to feel like an arms race. So you're almost trying to think of which is going to put me, which teams are going to put me next to players that are going to be able to compete or superstar players. And you have to look at the infrastructure of them. So obviously if you go if you go to Boston and you're able to get two superstars, I mean that's that's tempting. And honestly, if I'm Gordon Hayward, I would rather go out what I would rather start go out east, especially since it's a lot easier. The path is easier. No offense to LeBron the Cavs, but it's a lot easier in the East than having to go through that juggernaut known as the Warriors. But I honestly don't know what's the best decision. Utah is a great team, but looking moving forward, it seems like they still don't have enough yet. Let's just say they bring back the pieces. They still feel like they need more pieces. I mean, that playoff series, yeah, there were some close games. But a lot of times, if you watch, what the Warriors would do is just, hey, Rudy Gobert, we, we know you like defending the rim, so here's our death lineup. Let's go ahead and have Draymond at center. You're going to have to guard him out there, so who's really going to guard the rim? And I think Gordon Hill were kind of just seeing like, hmm, what's going to happen? But I think he really does enjoy playing there. That's something that should be – like Ethan has told me this before. Him and I looked at the the stats, the advanced metrics. Utah is pretty much Miami of the East, especially defensively. If you look at defensive metrics, Utah and Miami are very similar. And, and Ethan, Ethan and I had to talk about this. I was like, no way. I was like – I told him, I was like, man, Miami's bad at defense. He's like, go ahead and look it up. And lo and behold, Miami was up there. Like after – Look past the injuries from last season, that's what you're looking at. And honestly, if I were choosing between Utah and Miami, if I was Gordon Hayward, if I knew like like either George Hill was coming back or we're getting a solid point guard, I would go there. But if I know that that's not happening, we're going to be using developing more players, I might be looking at Miami more serious, especially with Pat Riley's leverage in the system with Eric Spolster like, Playing for a good coach is an important thing, and I think Miami has some Eric Spolstra 
And once you got Pat Riley trying to tell players like, hey, come here, all you have to do is show them like, here's our system, here's Eric Spolstra. We have been successful, especially look at last season, what we did with these players. And that's where I was, that's where I would be leading towards, of course. Let's not forget Brad Stevens believed in Gordon Hayward since the time he was like a five foot eight short kid who no one was even looking at. And he was like, hey, we wanna we want you to come to Butler. So that's one thing that really shouldn't be looked past. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like that's that's the thing. Like I I can't stand to look past as a Heat fan that wants Hayward a lot. Um, just real quick on the Heat and um like this Gordon Hayward thing before as we wrap up on this this general topic and move to something something else. Um the Heat defensively, I'm not 100 percent sure this is fact. So this might be hashtag face fake news. But I believe the Heat gave up the by shot attempts, gave up the least amount of three-point attempts, like by as many shot attempts they gave up. Like they run people off the three-point line constantly. They are like the Jazz do a similar thing in terms of what they try to do. They try to funnel everything into Gobert. The key difference in when me and Elkin had that conversation about how the Heat and Jazz are kind of similar, the, the main difference is, though, we get that rebound and we try to – the Heat, I'm saying we, they try to run. The Jazz are very slow and methodical. The Heat are ready for transition buckets. And if you, I bet if you put Gordon Hayward just on that team, his numbers go up even more. He looks like that all-NBA player because all of a sudden he's getting – you know, two or three more shots a game just because we're they're sprinting up the floor. That's my final thoughts. Richard, do you have anything else? Or are you ready to move on to our next one? Well, I think it's, it's time to go ahead and move on. We've been talking about uh, – we briefly mentioned how the Golden State Warriors are essentially um, causing, um, you know, all the rest of the teams to really – just it's an arms race to try to, to figure out, okay, can we beat them or try to game the system to say, all right, well, when are they going to maybe begin their decline and then maybe we'll – We'll get good around then. So I think that's what Boston's been tinkering with. But all the moves we're seeing, uh, Boston wanting to uh, to get two two superstars over there. Um, Miami's trying to you know bring someone to to stay to stay um, relevant as well. Uh, and with the most recent news that we have today, with the trade of Chris Paul to the Houston Rockets, uh, it really seems that these teams are really trying to find ways to to go and provide some competition for the Golden State Warriors. Let's go ahead and maybe move over to the Chris Paul trade that we had today. Um, Elkin, you want to outline for us just, it's been really crazy with a bunch of cash going different ways to actually make the trade happen. Uh, Who actually is involved in the trade uh, between Houston and the Clippers? What I've seen for the most most current thing, because it's kind of like the dust is settling. I mean, from what I've seen from various reporters, is the the three main guys, there's other guys involved, but the three main guys are going to be Patrick Beverly, Sam Decker, and Lou Williams. Those are the three main guys heading over. So, of course, for the Clippers, you can see kind of like, all right, we're kind of loading up on our backcourt. And then to kind of balance out the contracts, you add in uh, a Harrell, which I think the Clippers are actually going to try to keep, and then a DeAndre Liggins and Quarterman. And then finally we have – a 2018 first-round draft pick, top three protected, which I feel like the protection time is going to come into effect. But that's what we're looking at. And uh, I know Ethan saw my reaction to all these players for Chris Paul. And there's something that I hate. I call it the Kings Ransom. There's something I hate about a Kings Ransom for one player or two players. 
That's the one thing I just dislike. And that's where I have the issue. I don't know what you guys think about the pieces being exchanged between the Clippers and the Rockets and what your thoughts are. Well, just for me, I mean, you had some some in, interesting language to go with the, the trade. And, like, the reason I kind of was like, hey, let's take a, a pause for the cause here was I saw no player that the Rockets moved on from that are – a shell of Chris Paul. There's some good players. A Lou Williams that you gave up a late first-round pick for. A, a Patrick Beverly who you, you brought in out of the Miami Heat's D-League system and, like, groomed him into a, a quality starting point guard, especially if you have a dominant ball handler beside him. And, and you can go down that list of Sam Decker with some athletic promise, the combo forward guy. But overall, like my, my my takeaway is you gave up a bunch of low spades for the for the big joker. Like you you got the cards you need to win. You you are you have shuffled the deck in your favor and taken the best card. Now, when you play the best card and it doesn't work out, you're left with nothing, so to speak. But sometimes that big card is the one that you need to play to win the hand. I know that's kind of a weird analogy to throw out there, but you have the best card. Sometimes you're going to win. And especially in this trade, the Rockets didn't give up anything that is just great. You, you give up Patrick Beverly, you know, who, who's you know first team NBA defense, but the other guard there was Chris Paul. And so you're getting that and you're not losing any on that end. Uh, you're getting, you know, uh, a much better offensive player. Uh, in Chris Paul, uh, and you obviously you lose Lou Williams, but you still got your sixth man of the year and Eric Gordon there. And uh, I mean, some of the other guys they threw in, um, you know, I, there's a couple other people that uh, they got. They also got Darren Hilliard um, from the Pistons and threw him out uh, over to the Clippers. They also got um, uh, a forward Kyle. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Whit- Whitler. I, I don't know. They they got so the other guys out there. They're basically just nobodies there to really just make the cap, uh, make the trade work financially. And so the guys you mentioned are really the only ones. Decker, you know, young guy out of Wisconsin. He's probably fine. Harold's, you know, not bad. But here, Chris Paul is obviously, like Ethan was saying, the, the, big, the big prize here in this trade. And they obviously won. Uh, similar to how Jimmy Butler was the big prize in his trade. I mean, you know, if you get the best player, you've obviously, you know, you're going to be thought of as having won the trade. It's just going to be interesting to see how Chris Paul, a ball-dominant guard, is going to fit in alongside of James Harden, who really unleashed his potential being the point guard this season under Mike D'Antoni. And so that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. How will that work? What do you guys think about how that will really fit together? Right now where I'm at, I'm kind of worrisome because of what I've seen with James Harden playing against or with someone who's ball-dominant. I think... Obviously, this is I'm not comparing these two players. I think of Ty Lawson and James Harden, and everyone thought, oh, great signing. Ty Lawson's going to let James Harden play off the ball. But what happened? Oh, no, you I, w- I want to handle the ball. No, you handle the ball. I want to handle the ball. Why are you handling the ball? And that's the issue. But good players tend to figure things out. And we kind of remember when LeBron signed with the Miami Heat, a lot of it was Dwayne Wade. LeBron, who's going to have the ball, is going to figure it out. And the first, of course, the first few months, you're kind of figuring out, like, filling each other out, how are we going to play? And 
there's going to be some hiccups and there's going to be some hiccups along the way. And I, and I think you kind of just figure it out. And I think a large part, and I know we saw all those players being moved out is who else are going to fill this roster with. That's what I'm also interested to see. Cause though that to me are the pieces that matter. What are we going to put around these guys besides what we have? And are we going to add more big pieces? Or are we going to try to look for more supplementary pieces? Yeah, I think that uh, if you're Houston, you're still looking to add another big piece. Uh, it's been rumored out there that they're looking to go after a Paul George. I don't know how that dynamic would work, um, but they're also looking to try to go and get Carmelo Anthony. I think if if I'm Houston, I'd prefer to get, obviously, Paul George is a way better player, but with the way D'Antoni is running things, uh, with basically it's you shoot a three or – um, you know, or get a layup, and they want to basically shoot as many threes as they possibly can. Imagine throwing Carmelo into the mix when you have Chris Paul and James Harden um, slashing and kicking. I mean, he can basically turn into the Team USA version of himself where he's just out there spotting up and hitting every single three out there. And so if you can somehow work out that trade, because it seems like the Knicks are now not wanting to do a buyout now that Phil's gone, uh, you know, maybe you can pull off a trade for Carmelo. I think that's a more realistic thing to do than trying to get Paul George to come in um, and trade. Uh, and so uh, that's the one big piece I think they add, but you're right. You got to fill out the rest of the roster as well. And I'm curious to see what are some of the other small things they're going to do? Are they going to resign Clint Capella? Are they going to, um, you know, how are they going to put pieces in there uh, around um, the rest of those guys to really give themselves a roster not to have a totally weak bench like we saw the Cavs experience in the finals and what that can do in a playoff series. Yeah, they just don't have the the, the bodies right now to, to play an 82-game season based on this trade. Like, they have a whole bunch of, of bums that they just signed, you know, to get this all this money stuff worked out that I just don't know how to explain to our listeners, to be honest with you. But all in all – they don't have the bodies to play two games and be an effective team, but their starting lineup could be it could be terrifying in terms of Chris Paul, James Harden, Trevor Reza, Anderson, and Clint Capella. That's a very explosive offensive lineup, and between Ariza, Capella, and Paul, that's a those are three solid to really great defenders. So, like I said, like I don't know how they like. There's no way that the uh, that the Rockets like lost this trade. It's just going to be interesting to see what the next move is for them because Ryan Anderson now, he's someone that you got to move if you're going to acquire another quote unquote star to play alongside these guys because his salary is the one that's going to be weighing him down. And Eric Gordon off the bench is a guy I don't really want to get rid of because he is such a knockdown shooter. Yeah, I think that you got to hope to to keep Eric Gordon. You may have to, to move him because I don't know how many teams are going, really going to want to take Ryan Anderson's contract. Um, you know, I heard it rumored out there that teams were asking to receive two first round picks in order to take Ryan off the roster, which you don't want really want. You don't want to do that. If you are the Rockets, one thing that may kind of help with this is if you have James Harden and if you have Chris Paul and you were thinking about, well, is there going to be enough ball to go around between the two of them? You know, the hope is hopefully you can stagger your minutes in such a way that you don't have to experience um, what it is like to have a backup point guard. You can have one of those guys out there the whole time, um, figure out a way to stagger, stagger those minutes and hopefully keep Eric Gordon. And then you're going to have to fill in the roster with some wing players 
specifically in the small forward position and also probably power forward if you know if you if you end up having to move a Ryan Anderson for something. At the end of the day, though, like like we said, a lot of this is to catch up to the Warriors. So I still don't think personally that the Rockets are going to be that much of a contender. But it all depends how they fill it up. I'm always I'm always interested to see. We never know what could happen. Sometimes things click. Sometimes stuff happens to other teams, and then you find yourself being elevated in the standings or in your season. But besides the Rockets trying to move themselves up in tiers and maybe considering yourself a contender now, what other moves can be made by contenders as far as free agent signings or maybe just small moves that can be done by the major contenders? And right now, I believe the ones we've spoken of have been Golden State, um, San Antonio, Cleveland, and Boston as the front runners for possibly making a case for a championship run. Well, I definitely think Houston has moved themselves up in into that discussion. I think that um, them getting Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul, when he's on the court, he thinks he's better than Steph Curry. I don't know what it is, but most point guards, you know, these high-level point guards, when they're out there, they think that they're better than Steph Curry. And especially someone like Chris Paul, he's going to try to get physical with him. So I think that Chris Paul brings a dynamic uh, to the Rockets that uh, is really going to help them, especially in the playoffs. I do think that San Antonio might be slipping a bit uh, because it doesn't, I don't really see where they go from here as far as you know, some of the pieces they can add on because it, it seemed that they were trying to move LaMarcus Aldridge. He didn't really bring a whole lot in the playoffs, especially when Kawhi left. He also seems to, it's rumored that he's unhappy there probably because of what happened in the playoffs and uh, the rumors about you know him being moved and, and but. I don't know where you're going to find a trade for him where you're going to get anything valuable. Uh, you know, perhaps you can find something, but I mean, you're also don't really have Tony Parker. Uh, Patty Mills is a free agent. You're not really sure what's happening with Manu Ginobili. Uh, so one thing, one thing that I think would be good for San Antonio, one thing I think that they need to do is get someone like George Hill, uh, him being a free agent, um, a really uh, good defender at the point of attack at the point guard position. I think, would be something that Popovich might look for, but just adding George Hill doesn't do it for you if you're at the Spurs. I don't know what other moves they can make to really go after them, but I think that that's got to be the first one that I would make if I'm San Antonio. Do you think there's any way, like, um, like first of all, real quick on the George Hill thing. Richard, I want, I want to go back and forth on this a little bit. If you can get George Hill, why couldn't you possibly get Drew Holiday or Kyle Lowry? who are Lowry's base, I think maybe a year older, but better. Drew Holiday is almost as good, if not as good, and younger. Can you tell me why you wouldn't go after one of those guys? Is it just the old San Antonio fit? I think George Hill is just uh, a, a better fit there. I think defensively, um, I think he's better than the two guys you've mentioned. Uh, I, you know, Kyle Lowry was some of the – I don't, he kind of scares me in really giving him a really big contract. I don't think George Hill would demand the kind of contract that um, Lowry's wanting to get. Now, maybe Lowry doesn't get it because the point guard market with all the moves that have been made is kind of maybe cooling off a little bit. But I, I like George Hill's defense. Uh, he he fit really well, well into that Utah system, and I think that he could fit really well as, in that same type of role in San Antonio's system. Uh, he just seemed like a type of person that they would go for. And they used to have uh, George Hill. He was the piece that they used to trade to get Kawhi Leonard. And so I think that uh, they, they, 
know, they went out and got him initially. And so I do think that there is something in him that they do value. And I think that because of those things, he would fit best in San Antonio, as opposed to some of those other guys that you mentioned uh, and Drew Holiday or Kyle Lowry. Okay. And I actually tend to agree with you. I was just trying to provoke something there because I think all things equal, those two other guys are actually better players, but maybe the fit isn't perfect. And I think they both will cost more than a George Hill. And that's where I agree with you. Hypothetical thoughts here. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin's contracts are $400,000 different. And I'd have to look at what his uh, Blake Griffin's raise would be if he were to opt in to a contract. Do you think there's any chance that could be a switcheroo? And, and with that in mind, that would give Blake Griffin a very good chance of being a ball-dominant point-forward style player, especially if this point guard doesn't get uh, uh, resolved uh, in free agency. If Patty Mills comes back as a starter, you know, maybe Blake, Blake Griffin becomes maybe your best ball handler aside from Kawhi Leonard, who you don't want to put all of that pressure on. If it's me, I don't want to do it if I'm the Spurs. Um, first of all, I just don't think it will happen just because I was surprised to even see the whole Chris Paul trade go on uh, and him opting back in and, and, and all that stuff. So I just don't see that happening just because I think it'd be really – one of the things, I think it'd be really crazy to see that happen twice on, from the same team. Uh, but also, I don't know if it really would make sense if, if I'm the Spurs. Blake Griffin doesn't really seem to be the type of fit on the Spurs – uh that they want and you know they went out and tried to get a guy who maybe didn't quite fit this the system and the style quite as well in Lamarcus Aldridge and it didn't really get them to where they wanted so I, I don't know if that'd be the way that they would want to go uh, I would just be hesitant to do that if I was San Antonio but but with that in mind is at this time it's a one-year contract if this were to happen it's a one-year deal you get cap space you can try again that's what is so appealing to me if I'm a Spurs fan, if I'm a Spurs front office guy, if you can get them to, if you can get the Clippers to take LaMarcus Aldridge, that's what makes it appealing to me as a Spurs guy. Cause you probably have to give up some kind of pick and some other kind of thing or find a third team to contribute. Cause LaMarcus Aldridge, not on a great deal for what his production is. And if the Clippers are blowing it up, maybe you can tolerate a deal like that. But I mean, you just hired Jerry West. You're not – I mean, I don't know if he he wants to do a rebuild, you know. But, like, that. the reason I brought it up is because that is intriguing from a basketball mind like myself. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Clippers would do it either. I I, I think that, um, you know, for the Clippers, they're, they have – they had their eyes set on next year as well, you know, trying to get the Banana Boat squad to go there to, the, to um, uh, you know, Los Angeles. Uh, you know, now what's interesting, though, is – this year, Lamarcus Aldridge has a has twenty one um, million, twenty one and a half million on the books for this year. He has twenty two million next year, but it is a player option. If you are, if you're him, and you're unhappy with the situation, and the Spurs know that, and you can't trade, you know, maybe if you're the Spurs, you think, well, maybe he's just going to opt out, and essentially, you're going to get that money off the books anyways, uh, and so. If it were if it were me, I'd try to to stick with Lamarcus Aldridge. If you can't find something else out there, I don't know what that, what that trade would be, uh, but I don't think it would be for Blake Griffin if if I'm running either one of those teams. I think um, listening to this, and honestly, I have probably 
faith in pop to make any type of almost anything work. That that's one of the biggest things. The system. If they can get Blake Griffin to buy into the system, and I think this would be a from a basketball mind, I'm kind of intrigued the same way Ethan said. I would kind of want to see maybe Blake Griffin's athleticism is not what it used to be. But I think overall his ball handling and playmaking abilities, that's what I want to see him develop more. It'll be interesting. And let's just say you lose either Blake Griffin after a year or Marcus Aldridge after a year. I think the Spurs have enough um, as far – let me think of the word – at the franchise, enough pull to bring another free agent in. So that's what – that kind of that kind of move, an experiment like that would be worth to see what do we have here if we sign a point guard and then we still have Kawhi comes back 100% healthy and then we have a guy come in if we do this trade and then everything's off the books after about a season and we can go out and get someone else. That's something that I'll be willing to see, but it sounds more like a fantasy trade the more I think about it because it's going to be hard for I – don't, I don't think the Clippers want to receive LaMarcus Aldridge. Honestly – that's that's the issue I have with it. If I'm the Clippers and I'm really trying to rebuild, I don't know if I want to. I know he has that player option if Charlie comes off, but I wouldn't be too willing to to take on that, Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, like I I, I didn't say that this was a a thing that probably will happen. I'm just saying like I could only imagine if Kawhi Leonard maybe wasn't for. 50% of the possessions for the Spurs, the best option available. You know, like he's been the best option available every single time down the floor. What, like, what would he look like if he didn't have to be the best option for parts of the game? And I think it would be a nice fit for Blake as a person, not, like as a player, not as a person. He probably wants to stay in L.A. as a person. But as a player, it would be a great fit for him to – see if he can un- like because we got to the point a few years ago where he was a top top player and like the, the the shell on him as a you know finding the best of him was opening up and we just saw it get closed back up because of all these injuries and personally my opinion doc rivers not being a great coach like it's just so many things have went wrong for this guy if 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 the spurs are truly that like uh that haven, that culture, you know, the Heat, well, the Heat and Spurs are the teams that kind of moniker those things. It just seems like it's be just lovely as a basketball fan in general. Like I, I think that would be the most ideal place for him to be, other than him maybe in Miami. But I don't necessarily want him in Miami. I want him in Miami. I think that that's the best fit for him there. Honestly, uh, I mean. Being in it, being on a team with with a good coach, uh, but not I, I don't want to knock Doc necessarily as a coach, but I think his involvement as GM. I know that you may you may want to knock him for being a coach, but I want to knock him even more for being a GM. Uh, you know, having zero bench means you got to play your big gu- your main guys in minutes that is not really sustainable um, throughout most of the regular season. If he were on a team like San Antonio, or I think maybe in Miami, he doesn't have to log those super heavy minutes that he would have to, and maybe he can stay, um, you know, a little less injured. What I think will happen is I think that Blake uh, is going to go to Miami. I think that that's the, the thing that, that will fit the best. Now, obviously all the, Gordon Hayward is the guy, the prize in, um, in free agency this year. And so if Gordon Hayward doesn't decide Miami, I think Miami pounces on Blake Griffin and I think that they make it happen. I just want James Johnson. If, if Gordon Hayward doesn't come, just give me James. Give give me cheap Blake Griffin. Give me cheap Blake Griffin. 
that like has a cooler beard and hair. Give me, give me cheap Laker. So that that's my thought process. We we pretty much covered Golden Golden State doesn't have to improve to be staying contenders. We've covered Houston. We've covered San Antonio. Do we want to move on to the other two contenders here? Well, I do think Golden State needs to do something. I know where we kind of say, ah, Golden State. You know, yeah. they've got it. They've got it figured out. They've got they've got Draymond. They've got Steph, KD. Uh, you know, they've got um, you know Clay. Uh, but there's rumors that they could lose Andre Iguodala this year. He may be looking to get paid, nope. and there are uh, Andre Iguodala bears. Well, I, I'm to, I'm just saying they could lose someone like him, and I think he. Uh, him and also Sean Livingston. I think that if they lose one, they won't lose the other. Uh, but someone like him really gave them the flexibility to go to their death lineup. Without him, they can't do that quite as well. And I think we underestimate, uh, I think you're underestimating a little bit the value that Andre Guadalla brought, brings to that team. Uh, I think that if he goes back on a cheaper deal, which he very well may, uh, then that really, um, I, I don't see any move that could be other that could. You know, if all if everyone's healthy, that could really push anyone above Gold State. Uh, but they do still have to fill out the roster with, um, you know, cheap ring chasers. You know, similar to similarly to what the Cavs have been trying to do, um, you know, for the past couple of years. Uh, and so, I I wonder what what are some of those things they've got to fill out the roster. They have, they got a couple of young guys. Uh, they got Jordan Bell in the draft. They have Pat McCall from last year. Uh, but they do have a lot of guys who could very well leave in free agency. Um, and so I do think that they we can't just assume that they're going to be great because if they don't have a bench that they can go to, then maybe they got to start playing their big guys for more minutes during uh, during the year. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm making too much of a fuss about nothing, but I do think that they need to be wise with how they handle this offseason. Dan, I, that, I think you bring up that point. I was looking at our list of possible veterans as far as ring chasers. And, and I see guys, I mean, Vince Carter probably has been the one name I've heard pop up in an association with the Golden State Warriors. But looking down at this list, like, so let's just say Andre Godala leaves. I know Ethan said, who cares? Uh, but he does provide a vital piece, and who might have an answer to step in? I want some guy who is a wing that can give me at least some sort of resemblance to being a 3 and D guy. And I think that's going to be the danger. Who are you going to put it in that place? I think they kind of tried putting in uh, Matt Barnes to supplement some of that time. I know Matt Barnes came in after Kevin Durant got injured. But to kind of take some of that, and that's not going to work. And then, of course, it makes me think. So we like to think all these teams that are doing good don't have to change. But then look at the other side of the spectrum. Their decisions aren't as hard to me to what the Cleveland Cavaliers are going to have to make. Obviously, they're putting people on the trade market. Kevin Love, LeBron, probably not happy with Griffin being gone. So he's thinking about maybe leaving after a season. And then you have all these changes. And then where is that team going to go? That's what I'm looking at because their books, I've been looking at their at their cap situation. Cleveland's cap situation is horrific compared to, to other teams. So I'm trying to see what Cleveland is trying to do moving forward. Should they make more trades, get valuable assets? I know Ethan mentioned Gary Harris, Kenneth Fareed, Wilson Chandler for Kevin Love. That's one of the things. But, Ethan, what do you think? Um, that'd be a great trade in my opinion because it's just giving you three able-bodied players. Um, like Fareed is the least of those three. 
but they're all good. Def- they're all good defenders, and like you know, Freed can basically just be your backup center and be an energy guy. But I'm I'm literally scrolling through the uh, the NBA free agents, and there's just not a lot of old dudes that are going to be able to contribute that are going to be available for a minimum. And I like that. Honestly, it's just a tough year for that. Well. Yeah, I th- I think that it's going to be hard for them to do here right now during the summer. But they're always a um, a player for the buyout market um, halfway through the yeah. year, and so um, maybe when you start seeing, you know, D Wade's wanting a contract buyout, maybe he's the type of person who goes over there. I don't know if he if you know, I think that he still has enough value left, especially in minimum time, that he would really give them some 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 quality. Uh, quality help there off the bench. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that they're going to have to look there. I don't know what types of moves they could even do uh, at the deadline with the way the roster is currently constructed. I do think they need to make a trade or two, but you don't have a GM in there right now. So what are you going to do? Um, just real quick, I, I, I've scrolled through the entire list, and these are the only two guys that are, like, in that age spectrum that they would say, you know what, maybe I go there for a year on a low deal that are actually still potential contributors. And those two names that I have found are a Michael Beasley and a Omri Caspi. And guess what? Not great options. Omri Caspi, like both these guys are like, hey, I'm going to go play for a winner, maybe get one more big deal potentially. You know, a big deal might be $5 million per year. But like both those guys are the guys that I see as, okay, they'll play some 3 and D. Like maybe not so much of the three for Beasley, but – I mean, like, those are your best options of the guys that, like, are the three and D, you know, two through four position guys. They're just not – they're just not here. Yeah, I mean, there are some guys – I look at someone like a P.J. Tucker who's – who would be a really great ad for any of these teams, but I think he's probably going to want to go – he could probably get some money right now on this deal. And so he's not looking to be one of those guys uh, who may want to go there. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what his motivations are. Maybe he wants a ring uh he's been playing on the suns for a while went over to toronto and and got obliterated by the Cavs. and i don't know maybe that changes his mind but he seems like the type of person or the type of situation where he may want to go out and and he could get a pretty good contract right now absolutely he could and i think and this might not be a popular fit i could see a guy maybe even they might maybe, the thing is who can they convince to take a lower contract we have to look past guys who are obvious ring chasers, veterans. I think right now what they're going to try to do is who can they convince to take a lower contract. I was looking at some of the, uh, another contender, someone like Boston. So let's just say Boston only ends up with one superstar instead of two, how they would have liked. So one thing I'm worried about is because Danny Ainge likes to say, I'm going to make a big trade, but I don't like, he's literally one of the biggest talkers out there, Danny Ainge. That's one of my things. Like he'll say, I'm going to do this, but he doesn't do it. So if I'm Boston, Let's just say if I sign only one guy, or let's say I am any guys, who am I looking at free agency? Because they do have some cap space there. So from Boston, who am I looking at to bring in free agency? Well, if you're Boston and you get a Gordon Hayward or you get Blake Griffin, um, you have you have 25 to $30 million in cap space uh, approximately, and that's without bringing back Kelly Olenek, Kelly Olenek and Jareb Cohen, Amir Johnson, Gerald Green. And so perhaps if I'm Boston and I get one of those guys, uh, I got I got a number of young assets that uh, that I have. Maybe I look to try to bring back some of those guys 
uh, some of those guys who were already on the team, who already have been working in a system uh, that uh, Brad Stevens has been putting in place. Uh, I wouldn't really go out to try to get more because you're going to use up most of your cap space on a Gordon Hayward or a Blake Griffin. Uh, so the way that you would be able to pull off anything else is through trades. Uh, and so if, if it's me, maybe I look to try to get some of those guys coming back on a cheaper deal. But if you only get one of those guys, maybe you can't pull the Paul George trade. Uh, I don't know what you do with Boston because you don't want to be trying to uh, give up future assets in order to bring in, uh, you know, and, and move some of the people that you have who would be good in reserve for you in order to try to get someone else in the free agent market. You need a Amir Johnson replacement. And that's not in terms of what his production was, because he was pretty minimal in like true production and helping the team, but you need the quote unquote big guy. Cause right now if Al Horford's your best rebounder, you're, you're, you're losing games because of it sometimes. And I, I really think that's something they have to address. And I don't know if that's via free agency, cause there's not a whole lot of big stiffs out here just available to sign that are actually going to contribute in my uh, estimations anyway, but you got to get someone in there to get some boards. Cause I personally believe, like, if the Heat could have snuck into the playoffs instead of the Bulls, they would have wiped the floor with the Celtics because the song wide like, wouldn't have been able to be contained. I think the Pistons could have done the same thing to him just because of Andre Drummond. Maybe not so much because he's not as a – but, like, my point is, like, you can get taken advantage of by a big guy. Yeah, we, we, I mean, the, the Pistons would have gotten boards, but they were just terrible. They were in a place this at the end of the year. They, they were just struggling huge. You know, I know Miami – uh, you know, I think that they could have given a run if healthy, but that was a problem for them to close the season. Uh, you're right, though. I mean, we saw with, with Chicago, Robin Lopez turned into a uh, an all-star against them because he could get every single board out there. I don't know. I mean, they're, if I'm looking at big guys that they could go after, I mean, you know, looking, it just depends on who they're, who's willing to sign for a deal that would be good enough. I think um Kelly Olynyk's probably going to be outside the price range because of his uh his play in the playoffs maybe game seven. Yeah, yeah game seven against the the Wizards there but maybe I, I don't know maybe you get someone like Jordan Hill I, I don't know who moves the needle for them <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't I don't really know you're fishing like that's what we're doing right now we're fishing for a big guy like the only other thing I just ran across, like you throw throw an offer at Alex Lynn if you can, maybe if maybe the Suns don't match, but if it's low enough that the Celtics can afford it, the Suns will probably match it. The, like the Celtics are are pseudo contenders, is what they are, because if they don't get Gordon Hayward or they don't get Paul George, they're still the little guys they're trying hard all season, and I'm not scared. They need to get two. They need to get two guys in order to really move into that category. That's right. Uh, other, otherwise, they're going to be the first seed that gets knocked out by, um, by the Cavs. Uh, you know, until LeBron either you know moves to the West Coast or, or you know, however many years. I don't want to put a number on LeBron, but however many years down the road when he starts to not really uh, be himself, you're really just going to be, yeah, like you said, being the tryhard during the regular season only to get. Um, you know, to get it handed to you when you get to the playoffs. LeBron James goes west before he becomes bad at basketball. Seriously. 
And it's probably not going to be the Clippers because he's already let it out that he's not planning on playing for the Clippers. He's already said that through various through various people as well. We're looking at you, Magic Johnson. Bring it home. Ah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but that's all I have as far as free agents tidbits for now. Yeah, and we've been talking for a really long time, guys. Yeah, it's been a little bit. I mean, once we start seeing where people go, we can begin to give more analysis and say, well, that make, that move makes sense, that move doesn't. Uh, and so, well, with this weekend being the beginning, the moratorium of uh, where free agency can officially begin, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where people go, um, where things uh, line up, and just really quickly to finish off, um, let's 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 do this. Where do you think? Where do you think Gordon Hayward and Blake Griffin will go? Gordon Hayward goes to the Heat. That is a hundred percent homerific takes. I think Blake Griffin resigns to the Clippers, and they look to trade him. In the, like they, he gets a full five year, whatever they offer him, but no trade. That he will not get a no trade clause, and then he will be moved if they can't bring other players on board. I think Gordon Hayward is not going to the Heat. I think he's going to the Celtics. I know, Ethan, you're a little bit mad about that. And with Blake Griffin, I was going to say he was going to outright sign with Miami, but it would honestly be smarter on his part to sign and do a sign and trade. Like, that would be the smartest thing for him to do, sign with the Clippers, do a sign and trade. And, of course, with the Clippers, you benefit from that. And that's a whole other conversation. If you're doing a sign and trade, what are you getting in return? And that's a conversation I feel like it's for another day. Yeah, I I don't think the sign and trade market would be. I mean, I you could go and do that, but then you're also depleting Miami while you're doing it, unless they can get rid of some contracts. Uh, my prediction, you heard already. I think Blake Griffin to Miami. Sorry, Ethan, uh, and uh, Gordon Hayward to the Celtics. That's my prediction. Don't worry, Ethan. Uh, if we could talk about the Pistons at all, we would, but we can't because they're terrible and they have no cap space. So because they stink. <laughs> Um, last thing, I mentioned a stat earlier in the day that Miami gave up the least amount of three-point attempts per game. That was correct. By a whole point two over the Jazz, the Heat give up the least amount of three-point attempts per game. Book it. Hopefully you can woo Gordon Hayward over with that little tidbit of knowledge. Exactly, because if Blake Griffin comes, we will not be able to do that because he's not closing out on those stretch fours. All right, guys, uh, nice talking to you on a uh, Wednesday evening, and we will reconvene after, uh, after some moves have been made in free agency. Absolutely. Pleasure talking to you all, as, as always. It's always a good time. Uh, it's been a great time, and as a great philosopher, Dion Waiters, once said, I'd rather go zero for 30 than zero for nine, because zero for nine means you stop shooting. I love Dion Waiters. On that note, let's go ahead and close it out. Night, guys.